Hello, and thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Community Church Sermon Podcast. My name's Caleb, I'm the production director here, and I just have so much fun getting to bring you guys these sermons. Today you're going to hear an awesome sermon from our lead pastor, Logan Beardsley, out of Mark 8, 27 through 38, titled, Who Do You Say Jesus Is? If you want to follow along with this sermon, you can go to our website, ccchachilla.com, and find the sermon notes, the discussion questions, our reading plan for Mark, and even children's resources in this time. So we'd encourage you to go check those out. And if you want to follow us on social media, you can find us at ccchachilla on Facebook and at Cornerstone Community Church of Chowchilla on YouTube. Thanks. Good morning, friends and Cornerstone family. Uh, It's good to be together, um, but I must share with you, uh, I just deeply miss like worshiping together. I miss uh, standing with my kids and holding Jude or Selah and singing together. I miss seeing uh, my sister Ellie Vlott uh, sitting and worshiping with me and Ben and the Vanderwata family and the, the Vanderdusen family and Julie and Jeanette in the back and the Trost over here and um, the Mots over here and uh, Principal Esquivel and just I just miss like truly being together. But at the same time, I believe with you that we can be together right now. That even though I. I get to preach to a screen, and you're sitting somewhere watching this, um, maybe for the first time, or maybe this is familiar, that uh, we can still be together by the Spirit of God. Uh, And so I just want to invite you um, not to miss this, to, to, to recognize that we have God's Word, and we get to read it together and reflect on it together. So I just want to encourage you right now, if you have your Bibles, to open up to Mark uh, chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 22, uh, starting in verse 22. And, uh, and we're going to read this together in a, in a few moments. Uh, and I would just encourage you, I'm going to stand for the reading of Scripture. And if you have your phone, you can follow along uh, on the screen. Uh, we'll have it below me and also on your Bibles, if you have your Bibles You can follow along uh, on your Bibles. Um, But I just want to encourage you uh, right now uh, to read this with me and and not miss this. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 uh, through uh, 38 says this. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the 
and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat if you are standing, and uh, I encourage you to pray with me. Lord, I just ask once again, God, that you would speak. I know that you speak. I know that you have a word from your word for us. And so probably more accurately, God, I ask that you would help us to listen. And I pray, Lord, that all the distractions in our homes, on our devices, in our very minds, Lord, that you would help us to unplug from those distractions and right now, God, together to open up our hearts to your word. That your spirit would do something incredibly special that we would have this special revelation of you speaking to us in our exact circumstance and situation, God. That you would speak to us in the midst of isolation, of self-sheltering, of viruses and fears and all that comes into that, God, that you in our family, in our community, in our world would speak. And Lord, as we reflect on this question, I ask God, as we think about what, it, what we say you are, Jesus, would you correct me if I'm wrong? Would you correct us for anything that is not true? And would you remind us of your truths this morning? We love you. We give this time to you, and we pray this together. In the name of Jesus, our King, amen. I'm going to rearrange this a little bit. There we go. I feel a little better here. So this morning, as I was reading through this, and or this week, reflecting along the reading plan and going through Mark, it seems to me that the question for us is so simple, 
yet so important. And the question is this that I want us to think about. Who do you say Jesus is in the midst of the coronavirus? Who do you say Jesus is in the midst of the coronavirus? If you have a paper and a pen, or if you're following along online on the notes, would you just take a moment to personally, honestly, Write down in the midst of wherever you are who you say Jesus is right now. Who is Jesus right now? Is he your comforter? Is he your good shepherd? Is he your best friend? Is he your therapist maybe? Is he somebody who is a great teacher to you, who, who as you've been reading along, he, you've been l- learning so much about how to live and how to interact with our community? Is he a great example to you as you read about the life of Jesus? You can see that he actually practiced what he taught. And so you're saying, I want to live like Jesus in this virus, in these times. We have all of these different ideas and understandings of who Jesus is. In our world, everyone has an opinion on Jesus. And I would say, I think for the most part, everybody loves Jesus. Everybody loves the teachings and the example and the ideologies that Jesus represents. The question is, though, when we think about who Jesus is right now, when you think about Jesus, who Jesus is, the question I've been asking as I read this, as I think about this, do I say and believe Jesus is who he says he is. In this passage, we can see, I believe, three gospel truths for us today about who Jesus is and how that speaks in to our times, into our world, into my world. And in this first few verses in verses 27 through 29 we're picking up in the story of mark and mark just hits us with a bang like you read the first chapter and the next thing you know after jesus's baptism he's he's casting out demons left and right he's healing people he's forgiving sins he's teaching about all these parables about about god's word and about the kingdom of god he is he is having these conversations with the pharisees and the religious leaders he's training his disciples he's sending them out. He's talking about his future. He's giving them commands. He's, he's constantly, he's feeding thousands of people miraculously. And as you read through this passage, you can see that Jesus, there's all this questions and this tension of who is he? Like he's doing all these miracles. He's teaching all these incredible things. Could he be the son of God? 
Could he be? And all these crowds are coming and everybody's asking these questions. And the author, Mark, wants us as we read this with him to ask these same questions. And we learn here, it says, they came to, they went on, uh, Jesus, verse 27, went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, it seems like Jesus is on his way somewhere, and we're going to get more as to what he was heading towards in a little bit. But they are on their way. They are talking together in this casual conversation. It reminds me just uh, this week, me and my son Nolan went on a bike ride together. And we were just riding our bikes together and having just a totally casual conversation. Probably talking about Fortnite, because that's like what we're doing right now. And as we were to, uh, have, you know, on our bike rides doing, our, doing this, there was this, it was a natural conversation. And I picture here this natural conversation. Jesus is with his disciples. It's this special moment when the crowds are not around him and he's walking with them. And he asked, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do, who do people say that I am? And the disciples respond, well, some people say you're John the Baptist. If you remember, Her, um, uh, not Herod, uh, Pilate at the time is, uh, is intimidated by, by John the Baptist, and, and, and he thinks that uh, he kills John the Baptist, and he thinks that maybe Jesus is John the Baptist come back. And so some people say, well, he's, maybe you're John the Baptist, the, the one who prophesied, the one who would prepare the way. We talked about John the Baptist last week. Other pe- uh, they say other people say maybe he's Elijah. We know that Elijah would come, that he would come, and he would be a great prophet. And others say, well, maybe he's just a really good prophet, a really good teacher, somebody who can speak representing God, God's mouthpiece to us in our world. And as they're walking along, Jesus then turns to his disciples, and then he goes a little deeper. And he asks them this, And I think as we read this, Mark wants us to picture ourselves walking with Jesus and Jesus right now in this moment looking at you and asking this question. But who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Peter, if you've been following the story of Peter, you know that this is really his he is, this is his account, the Gospel of Mark. He's telling Mark, and Mark is writing the story from the words of Peter. Peter tended to be brash. He tended to be quick and courageous and put his foot in his mouth oftentimes. And in this moment, there's this redeeming moment with Peter when he answers, you are the Christ. The Christ. This is the Greek or the anointed one. In the Hebrew, they would say the Messiah, the one who is coming. And if you've been following along in the Old Testament, you know that the people have been waiting for this promised anointed one, the one who would come from the line of Abraham and David, who would make all things right, who would bring them out of captivity, who would rule over all and bring judgment and peace, and who would heal and who would bring in this new age. And we can see glimmers, we can see 
tastes, feel tastes of this one to come in all of the healing and all of the teaching of Jesus in these first eight chapters. But here, Peter is saying for the first time, they've been calling him rabbi, they've been calling him teacher. For the first time, there's this transition, and he says, you are the Christ. And the Christ is God's plan. Hear this, the gospel truth for us today as we ask this question is this. Mark and Jesus want us to know here that Jesus is God's rescue plan for you. Jesus is God's rescue plan for you. The Christ, the one that before the foundations of the world planned to come to rescue you. There was no plan B. There was no plan C. The perfect plan ordained by God. The second person of the Trinity, the son of God. This is why Mark opens up the book of Mark when he says his preface This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And Peter in this moment, as he's asking this question, makes this statement, you are the Christ. You are the promised one. He's saying, you are more than just a friend. You are more than just a good therapist. You are more than just a good man. You are more than just somebody who can heal people. You are more than even a great prophet. You are the very son of God. The one that God has chosen to rescue the rescue plan. One of the things I love doing with my family is reading through the Jesus storybook Bible. If you've read this Bible, families, I would encourage you to read through this. It's, it starts in Genesis and makes its way all the way through the Bible. And there's this theme throughout the Jesus storybook Bible of a rescue plan, of how Jesus is in all of it. And this is what I want us to get after. And the question I I think that we should ask ourselves as we picture ourselves on the way with Jesus, the question that we should ask ourselves as we think about who we say Jesus is, is this, do you follow Jesus as a moral teacher and model for life or as the perfect, powerful Son of God who came to save you. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference in the power, in the purpose, in the sacrifice of the Son of God? As you think about this, these times, even the way that I pray, even the way that I cry out to Jesus, even the way that I sing you're bigger than I thought you were, even the way that I sing here I am to worship, when I am singing to my Lord, when I am singing to God, do I sing, do I pray to the one, the son of God who came to save me, to rescue me? 
And I believe Jesus here, he wants us to know this. In the other account, in Matthew, he, Matthew records that Jesus tells Peter, Peter, this statement is so crucial. On this rock, I'm going to name you the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And he's not talking about building his church on Peter himself, but on the statement that Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus died, that Jesus came to save and rescue me. And I get that and I nod my head and I get excited and I, and I want to leap up off this couch to tell you that. And I think Peter probably felt that and he's feeling pretty cocky and he's feeling like, I got this. Yeah, we're going to take over Rome. Yeah, Jesus has come to rescue me. I can't wait for him to rescue me and to beat all the bad guys and to do this. Let's do this together. And then look at what happens next. Because once again, God's plans are different. I've heard it said, I don't remember where, I wish I could quote whoever said it, but we make plans and God laughs. And isn't that true right now? I had all the plans in the world for the month of March. Plans about baseball. Plans about what we would do as a church. And we make plans and God laughs because his ways are so much bigger and better. And look at what happens next. It seems that this moment on the road is a bit of a crossroads because from here, after Peter makes the statement that he is the Christ, Jesus starts to switch the way that he's teaching. In the previous teachings. He would speak in parables and there was a bit of a mystery to how he was teaching. It was like he was waiting to really share with them that there was this progressive revelation. And then look at what happens. It says this, and he began in verse 31 to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said it plainly. He said it plainly. He wants them to know this truth. He wants them to know that yes, Jesus is God's rescue plan for you, but also your rescue plan, your rescue, hear this, comes through Jesus' death. Your rescue comes through Jesus' death, period. There's no other way. And Peter could not handle this. Peter's thinking, let's take out Rome. Let's, let's free all the captives. Let's do this. Let's reign. Let's rule. And Jesus said, no, I've come I've literally, I am on the way. If you read Mark, you're going to see he is on the way to Jerusalem, which is where he is going to die. And Peter has a hard time with this. Look at what, he, what happens. It says this, Peter took him aside and Peter began to rebuke him. He's like, no, Jesus, I know you're the son of God. I know you're the Christ, but this is not the way.
And Jesus turns and seeing his disciples in verse 33, he rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus says, no, this is the way I've come. I've come to die, period. There's no other way. All the other ways are not God's way. This, this is plan A, the only plan, the way. And if you are in my way, you are Satan. And I, as I read this, as I think about this, as I think about the times that we live in, as I think about the isolation, as I think about the economic fear, all of us are afraid about our money. All of us are afraid about our economy. All, many of us are afraid about our jobs. Many of us are afraid about our futures. I mean, just picture this. If Jesus came right now, and you got the incredible privilege of being his disciple, and he walked in, and you were walking on your way somewhere, and he turned to you, and he said this, and I know that he can heal everybody. And I know that he can annihilate and take out entire viruses. And he told me, Logan, I've come to die for these people. This is the way. I know what I would do. I know that I would say, okay, Jesus, that's cool. Actually, that's not cool. I really don't want you to die. But can you heal all these people on ventilators? I know you can. I've seen you do this. And so as I read this and I see Peter, I understand his question. But I also think that there's a bit of insights into our own selfishness and our own pride and our tendency to not think that we need someone to die for us. And as I think about this, the question that I've been asking myself is this. And the question I want to ask you is, do you follow Jesus? Because that is what good religious people do. Or because you are sick and in need of a doctor. Do you follow Jesus because that's what good Christians do? Or because you are sick and in need of a doctor? If you remember in the readings in Mark chapter 2, Jesus talked about this being, this relating to his purpose. He said this. Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus here was not just talking about physical needs. He was talking about a spiritual sickness that we all have, that I have, that is rooted in my own pride and ego, that is rooted in my own self. And Jesus here wants us, this gospel truth, to know that my rescue, that your rescue comes through his death. And we, just like the disciples, are at this crossroads. We're at this point of, of saying and thinking together, is this the Jesus that I serve? Am I at a place where I believe that he died for me? 
to rescue me because Jesus then goes from making these statements that he's the son of God, that he came to die to talk to those that have been rescued. Look at what happens here. It says, and after this, calling the crowd with him, with his disciples, he said to them, if you've been rescued, if you've been saved after me, he says this, if anyone would come after me, after what I have done, after the finished work of what I have done, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus is talking about eternity here. For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. You see, yes, Jesus is God's rescue plan for you. Your rescue comes through Jesus's death. And Jesus wants you and me to know if you are rescued by Jesus, if you have committed at that crossroads to saying he is the Christ, the son of the living God, the one who died for me, a sinner. If you are rescued by Jesus, hear this, you are dying to live. I preached a sermon about this a year ago, and it just really continues to reiterate this message, this Christian message that I think we live that as we think about Jesus and his disciples on the way somewhere, we know that Jesus was living to die so that we could be dying to live. And the problem for myself and for many of us far too often is most of us are living to die. We're living to get the most out of life before we breathe our last breath. But Jesus calls us to be dying to live. Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dying. Because of what he's done, I associate with him and his death and his work, his finished work. It is no longer I who live. I'm not even the one living anymore, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this moment, right now, I live by faith. And we talk a lot about faith right now, faith over fear. But the most important thing to recognize about faith is that I don't care about how strong your faith is. I care about the object of your faith. What is your faith in? And my faith and a Christian's faith says this, faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me the Son of God, who 
who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been thinking about that a lot this week. What does it mean as a Christian to die to myself? One of the things I've been learning about lately are these Enneagrams, personality tests. And I found if you want to, if anyone is an Enneagram person, I'm a three, which means that I love achieving things. That I want to achieve. I want to be seen as someone who achieves things, accomplishes things. And there's a lot of incredible fruit and a, a part that is really good, but there's also a dark side to that. So as I think about dying to myself, I think sometimes I need to die to my own desire to achieve, to impress. And as you think about who you are, as you think about following Jesus, what about your own life? What about your own place right now? Is, what about your own agendas for Jesus do you need to die to so that he can live? The language in this passage of Galatians is an ongoing dying. I have been crucified with Christ, but what Christ has done is done. And so what he has done is finished and complete. But I, in light of my faith in that, am continuing to die to myself here on earth as it is in heaven. And so I just encourage you as you think about that to ask these two questions. I would, I'm going to call these the two cornerstone questions for today. I like using our name, which is all about the cornerstone, the foundation Jesus tells a parable about two people that were building a house and one of them built it on, on, on sand and it was washed away by the storm and the other one built it on a rock. And the rock would go through any storm and what we believe here at Cornerstone is that Jesus is the solid rock. We're gonna sing that after this sermon together and we're gonna sing of how Jesus is the rock. He is the one that I put my faith in. He is the one that I build this on. And as we think about that, these two questions I want you right now to ask yourself with me is this. First, who is Jesus saying he is to you right now? Notice I switched the question. Not who are you saying Jesus is. Who, as we read, as we listen to Jesus with his disciples, who is he saying he is? Who is the son of God saying he is to you right now? I was thinking about this this morning because I do think that we should each write this right now. Once again, take a moment. Maybe over this week, reflect on this. Maybe spend some, some quality time in isolation to think, who is Jesus saying he is to me in the midst of this virus, in the midst of all of this unrest? I wrote this, Jesus is my achievement. He's done what I can never do. He saved me from my hopeless state of sin and self-righteous misery. Jesus is the Christ. He's done it all for me. He is here now through his spirit, 
He is my rock that cannot be moved. So I can sleep. So I can sing. So I can deny my selfish self and live selflessly and love it. Who is Jesus to you? Who does Jesus say he is to you? And after asking that question, I think there's a follow-up question. How is Jesus calling you to live right now? In the midst of all of this, as you think about maybe right now looking around your room, looking at the people that you're sitting with, maybe feeling a longing for certain people that you can't be with, maybe feeling worry about our community, about whatever it is. As you think about this, how is Jesus calling you to live? How are we going to step into tomorrow, into the rest of this day in light of the fact of who he says he is to you and to me? In closing, I want to read some thoughts from Paul again in Philippians. Paul wrote about this idea, this struggle with the church. He's writing to the church. He's longing to be with them. Man, I can, I can relate to that. And he writes this, he says in this letter, in Philippians chapter one, he says, as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul is saying, church, I just want to live for him. I, I, I want to find life in him through his death and resurrection living in me. And he says this incredible statement for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, hard work. At which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. In other words, I long to be in heaven. I long to be glorified. I long to be over all of these struggles. But hear this. But to remain in verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. To live is Christ and to die is gain. As you think about this moment, as you think about what Jesus is speaking to you this morning, my prayer is that you would Join the saints, the people that have put their faith in the rock, the cornerstone. The people that have said, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. And maybe right now in this moment, as we close out this service together, 
that you would take this time to sing or maybe just to pray these words and to invite God's spirit to lead you into living a life that dies to myself and lives in Christ alone. Would you pray with me? God, I believe, help my unbelief. God, you came to rescue me, and your rescue of me was by dying for me. But when you resurrected, you demonstrated your victory over my sin. And you tell me that you are alive, ruling and reigning. And therefore, I am dying to myself and living in you, the son of the living God. And so I pray, Lord, as we sing together, that right now, we would experience your spirit, that we would encounter you in our homes, and that we would declare our faith. Maybe for some of us, we have not done this, and right now in this moment, we would just simply spend some time, me and you, praying and declaring our faith in you, or continuing to declare, I believe in you. I believe in you, my cornerstone, so I give this to you, and I follow you and your ways. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.